Please remain standing for the reading of God's word. Our text today comes from Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Well, good morning. So, it's one of the most important documents in U.S. history. One author called it kind of a civic scripture. Read annually in Congress for over a century, memorized by children for generations. And now, unless you happen to have seen the Broadway musical Hamilton, it's largely forgotten. I'm talking about George Washington's farewell address. Uh, once uh, one of the most famous documents and, and well-known documents in, in U.S. history. Uh, Washington penned it, uh, an original draft, the first time he tried to quit as president, and then finalized it uh, after his second term. It was his address to the people of America, uh, kind of telling them farewell as he was leaving public service and heading home to Mount Vernon. And uh, in it, he wanted to address the nation. He wanted to warn them about dangers that lie ahead for them. And he also wanted to celebrate what was unique and special and, in his words, somewhat sacred about what was happening in the founding of our nation, America. Now, I'm not, uh, I'm not trying to compare the significance of that to this morning in any way. Uh, but I read a book about it a couple years ago, and it was kind of on my mind as I was preparing this week. Washington was reflecting on you know, eight years as U.S. president, 45 years of public service. I've been reflecting on you know, essentially a little over three years as a pastor here, so it sort of pales in comparison. Uh, but it has felt much longer, and I mean that in the best possible way. Uh, not, not that you people are hard to put up with, and it's felt like a long three years, but just the, the impact on me and my family, it, three years doesn't feel like quite enough uh, in terms of, of how we feel about it. So, so I read back through Washington's address this week and uh, just was looking at his main points. There is seven primary points, and they kind of bind together this vision for the future of the republic. Uh, I don't have seven points. Uh, I'm a Baptist preacher. I have three. And so uh, I, I'd like to share with you in a similar vein three, three basic thoughts, just kind of parting words for us as uh, we're parting for now, as, as we head home to Kentucky. And we're going to anchor this, of course, in Ephesians chapter 3 there, where Paul is telling the, the people in Ephesus how he has been praying for them, how he will continue praying for them. And I just want to draw our attention to three basic thoughts in the text that I think are good for us to meditate on this morning. When we look at Paul's prayer, we see three things. We see a bold prayer. 
we see him looking toward a, a big God, and we see him anticipating a bright future. So I'd like for us to focus on those ideas this morning. So uh, look at verse 14 there. As we think about a bold prayer, Paul says, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. And, you know, when you see something like, for this reason in the text of Scripture, you have to figure out what reason is he talking about. It's usually something he just said. And in this case, it's probably including all of what he said in chapter 3 and all of what he said in chapter 2. And so uh, at the beginning of chapter 3, he said, For this reason, I, Paul, and then he kind of went on a tangent. And so chapter 3 began by looking back on chapter 2. He sort of, this is what, how we uh, guess that Paul was maybe a little older when he wrote this one. He was beginning to interrupt himself. And so he, he started chapter 3. He kind of got off track. Now he's returning to that. He says, for this reason. And so if you've got your Bible open, just glance at chapter 2 and 3 here. And you'll, you'll get an idea of what Paul had in his mind as he was penning this. He said, for this reason, as he thought about God's mercy to sinners, as he thought about the grace displayed in sending his son Jesus there at the beginning of chapter 2 as he describes it, as he thought about God's wisdom in bringing together Jew and Gentile and crossing cultural and racial and ethnic barriers and bringing them together into one people, the church, as he thought about that for this reason. And then in the beginning of chapter 3, as he thought about God's grace in calling him into his service, Paul says, for this reason, I dropped to my knees in prayer. And then his prayer, it has this kind of uh, Trinitarian framework. It's sort of framed around the three persons of the Godhead, God the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. So he, he prays, first of all, to the Father, who is sovereign over all. Uh, he's the archetype of all fathers from which they derive their very names. That's what verse 15 is about. It's, it's reminding us that God is over all. He is the Father reigning over all fathers. And this is where we have to start in our prayers, right? I mean, if, if we are praying to the God of Scripture, we are praying to an almighty, all-loving, all-wise Father who delights to call you and I His children. And that should impact how we approach Him. And so Paul, with this in mind, prays boldly. And that's what I want us to note about his prayer. Look at verse 16. He prays, uh, that the Father would strengthen them with power. So there's just kind of overlapping language here. It's like strengthen them with strength, empower them with power. And, and then he prays it almost to an unbelievable degree. He says, according to the riches of his glory. So he's saying, I'm praying for you that God would empower you according to the riches of his glory. Not, not according to what you deserve, not, not according to what your minds, what sort of limitations your minds might conceive, but according to the riches of His glory, His infinite, inexhaustible glory. And Paul prays that He would give to His people according to the riches of His glory. And it's, it's worth noting there, He doesn't say from the riches of His glory, right? You can imagine if a, a very wealthy man were stopped on the street by a child who said, can I borrow a dollar? Right? Well, the, the, the wealthy man could give from the riches he possesses and give the child a dollar, but it would cost him nothing. Right? If he's got all sorts of money in the bank and he gives the child a dollar, what's that to him? Paul says, I'm not just praying that God would give to you from his riches, but according to the scope of his riches. 
So may the scope of his wealth frame the scope of his gift to you. Infinite, inexhaustible riches of his glory. And then notice where the gift is applied here. Uh, finishing verse 16, it says, Through his spirit, the spirit of God, in your inner being. So you guys remember in 2 Corinthians 4, when uh, the same author, Paul, said, We do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. And so in, in that text and many others in the New Testament, Paul's acknowledging that there's this external outer person and there is this inner person. And, and the, the inner person is called the heart, the mind, the will, the soul, and all these uh, different passages. But the point that we see here in Ephesians 3 is that the Spirit of God is residing and doing His good work in the deepest depths of our being. So when you put all that together, I think this bold prayer sounds something like this. He, Paul is reminding us that we pray to a God who is over all, He is sovereign over all, His glory is inexhaustible, and He gives to us according to that great glory in order to meet our deepest needs. That's what Paul prays God would do for his friends in Ephesus. And it's a bold prayer. I was thinking of, of this last night. I have a, a practice. I don't do this every Saturday night, but I do this often on Saturday night. I like to spend time uh, praying for you guys and praying for our, our gathering on Sunday morning. And often I'm you know, kind of thinking of the sermon. And uh, one of the things I have been doing for the last couple of years is I, I just sort of I used to go through the membership list, and then I got to know all of you guys well, and it's easier for me now to just imagine where you sit. So thankfully, you sit in the same place. As long as you don't move, I'll keep praying for you in my mind. And so uh, I'll just sort of, on Saturday night, I'll just sort of uh, work my way around the room, and I'll, I'll pray for you, and I'll pray particularly in light of what I'm planning to say to you the next day. And I was, I was thinking of that last night, and I was just thinking about what a, what a sacred trust there is in, in being a pastor, because you get the opportunity to know the deepest needs and the, the things that are really occupying the depths of your heart. And I, I just want to thank you for letting me into that. And I just want to tell you that I'm going to be delighted to continue praying for those things. It was a joy last night to, to think about this passage and to pray, Lord, would you answer that prayer and that prayer and that prayer and that prayer according to the riches of your glory? We've got things in our mind this morning that we'd love to see God do. And the thing I want to share with us this morning is He's capable of doing so much more. All right, so let's continue to pray bold prayers. Let's continue to trust the Lord to do far more beyond anything we can ask or imagine. So I think Paul gives us an example of that here. He gives us a bold prayer and he addresses his prayer, of course, to a big God. So if you look at verse 17, you kind of get into his purpose of what he's praying. And this is, a, this is one of those passages that's like, it's really cool to look at. It's got like some real sweet phrases in it. But if you ever try to like, actually understand it, it's, it's kind of convoluted. It's just like a bunch of phrases piled on top of each other. So I'm going to do the best I can to try to unwind it a little bit and help us make sense of, the, I think, what was maybe in the apostle's mind and heart as he was pinning this years ago under the inspiration of the Spirit. So in verse 17, he prays that Christ would dwell. And that word there is, 
is like a, a long-term, taking a long-term residence. Like not, not just passing through, but inhabiting, residing, abiding. That Christ would abide in their hearts through faith in such a way that His presence overflows in their lives. And you, you see the result there in verse 18. Uh, and, and it's really captured, I think, in one word. So the result of the Father empowering you through His indwelling Spirit and through Christ abiding in your heart is ultimately love. That's where this goes. And so in verse 18, Paul talks about how we, are, we ought to be rooted in love. He prays that they would be rooted in love and that from that root would grow the fruit of a greater knowledge of Christ's love. So he's saying, I pray that you would be a more loving people in order that you might know more of the love of God for you. But notice how, how God tends to do that. It's this key phrase in verse 19 where Paul says, with all the saints. So the path toward greater knowledge of Christ is love for God expressed in community with others. So if we're to try to get real practical with what we see in Paul's prayer here, I think something the apostle might warn us of if he were to sit beside us and, and kind of talk through these phrases with us is he might say, guys, the solo search for truth is a fool's errand. This idea that we're going to go out on our own and backpack through Europe and get alone, even get alone with the Lord has its limitations. And so if you want to know God, if you want to know the love of God in Christ, don't withdraw from other people. But I think the apostle would tell us, instead, plant yourself in a community of broken, believing people. Committed, commit yourself to love them, even when they let you down. Commit yourself to receive love from them, even when it is hard. And in that community, together, you will grow in your knowledge of Christ. So as you love one another, you will experience more of the love of God in Christ, and you will know God more. I think he works that out a little bit more in chapter 4, where this uh, knowledge flows through practical experience as, in the language of 417, the body, that's the church, the body builds the body up. So... In other words, I think the kind of practical takeaway of, this, of these couple of verses here is that the love of Christ is too deep for our minds to comprehend in a mere intellectual exercise. It's, it's known through serving one another. It's, it's known through the experience of being loved by others. And I would echo what my wife said in her prayer. Um, as a family, we believe that we have received more here than we have given out. Uh, we are so grateful for you guys. Uh, you've made a deep imprint on our souls. And, and as I was studying this this week, I realized part of why I'm confident my family and I will always look back on this season with sweet memories is because you guys together have helped us know God more. And we've enjoyed getting to know you guys, and we'll miss you guys. But what has been so special and what is so sacred about a community of people coming together 
is that as we love one another and as we receive love from each other and as we persevere through hard times together, we actually come to know God more. And that's what's lasting through it all. So my exhortation to you is keep loving one another. It's such a sweet community here. Uh, Keep loving one another when it is hard, when you are tired, when you want to quit, when you're fearful of the cost. Keep loving one another. And remember that part of what you're doing is demonstrating to each other the love of a big, boundless God. You are trying to help one another understand the breadth and length and height and depth of a God whose love is immeasurable. That's what we're doing when I call my wife from Kentucky to check on her and she says, uh, we have three different options for dinner tonight (laughs) because all our friends from church showed up and brought us multiple meals. So you're not just feeding my kids in that moment, you're reminding us that God is a God whose love is boundless and without limitation. So thank you for that. And my challenge to you is keep keep doing that. So we have bold prayers here, prayed to a big God. And then the third thing I want to point out is, um, I believe Paul has in mind here a bright So you might wonder, as you look at this passage, I mean, there is a a tremendous collection of phrases in this prayer. The the riches of His glory. He prays that we would be empowered with power, uh, that we would have strength to comprehend the incomprehensible love of Christ, that we would know what is unknowable, that we would be filled with all the fullness of God. That's what Paul prays for these people. And we might wonder, is Paul asking God for too much? I think the real question behind that question is, can we? Can we ask the Father for too much on our behalf? I like the way F.F. Bruce puts this very bluntly. He says, it is impossible to ask God for too much. And then picking up on the language of verse 20 and 21, he says, his capacity for giving far exceeds his people's capacity for asking or even imagining. His capacity for giving will always exceed your capacity for asking or even imagining what he might grant to you. This is our God. He is a God who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think or imagine. His power is infinite and Paul tells us here, that power is at work within us. Now, I was uh, drawn to this passage today for uh, this final time together, in part because uh, these last two verses have meant a whole lot to me and Shai over the course of our uh, journey. Uh, we had, we had uh, the verses 20 and 21, I guess, uh, sung at our wedding. Shai told me this week it was actually on our wedding program. I didn't remember that, but I'm sure she's right. Um, we have a thing up in, hanging up in our house uh, that has these words on it to just remind us that God is able to do more than all that we ask or think. I always throw in imagine because that's how the NIV translates it, and that's what I sort of grew up on. And 
I just kind of like how that sounds in my mind. So, but we also had these different uh, moments in our history where the Lord has just proven this to us personally. Being shy to the haste. I think about uh, when we were trying to decide, you know, whether or not to apply for a doctoral program. I mentioned this before in the context of a, a sermon or two. Um, you know, should we do it? Can I get in? <laughs> can I? <laughs> can I do it? You know, those sorts of things. That was all up in the air. We were unsure of the one thing we were completely sure of is we couldn't afford it, even if all those other things were true. And many of you guys know the story. A gentleman in our church said, you apply, you get in, I'll pay for it. Wrote the check. Never paid a dime for the whole thing. And that, that to us is a reminder that God is able to do more than what we ask or think. Now, we were just trying to figure out if we should try, and God was able to cover it all financially, and of course, help us to persevere through it. I think about praying for a child. Many of you guys know in 2010, uh, we, lost, we lost a child miscarriage. And then for two years, we were praying and, and begging the Lord to bless us with another pregnancy. And doctors were telling us that was not likely. We were continuing to pray, trying to, to sort out other options via adoption or whatever, and just trying to figure out what the Lord was doing. But ultimately, our prayer was, Lord, would you, could you please bless us with another child through another pregnancy? And the Lord gave us Anna in 2012. He's, uh, she's such a sweet reminder to us that the Lord hears our prayers. But then, as you know, my family, very quickly in 2014, the Lord caught us by surprise with Addie. And she's our reminder every day that the Lord is able to do more than what we ask or think. When we were praying for a child, the Lord had two in store for us. He's able to do more. Now, I just want to say to you guys that Midlands will go on this list in our hearts. And I... I think that's about the most sincere thing I could say to you this morning is this church and this season is right up there with, us, with those other things in terms of just how the Lord has shaped us and in how the Lord has shown us his, his grace. So we were moving to Columbia four years ago just looking for a church to belong to and maybe serve in a little bit and maybe help out where needed and... He has done so much more through, through this and through you guys. And so I say that to you by word of gratitude, just to, to say thanks from the depths of our hearts, but also by way of exhortation, just to reflect on what we've seen together these last four years. We've, we've gone through some hard transitions as a church family, but with each transition, we've begun to pray and with many other difficult moments we could think about that we've gone through in these last four years together, we've prayed and, and we've asked the Lord to help. We've asked the Lord to supply. We've asked the Lord to provide. We've asked the Lord to heal. We've asked the Lord to restore. We've asked the Lord to renew. We've asked the Lord to give us grace. And I think what we've seen over and over again is that He is able to do 
more. All of that and so much more than all that we could think or even imagine. And I believe we'll see that again. I believe that's what's in store for you as a church in the months and years ahead. And I believe that not just because I have great faith in you guys, although I do, and and not just because I have great uh, comfort and encouragement as I think about your elders that will be leading you in the future here, although I do have, have just tremendous faith in those men. I believe that because I... I read in passages like this the Lord's great commitment to glorify His name through His church. So so look with me in verse 21 here, where Paul says, To Him, this is to God, God the Father, God the Son, dwelling in our hearts through faith, God the Spirit, empowering us in the deepest depths of our being. To Him be glory in the church, and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. That's a doxology there. It's often how Paul ends his letters. Typically, they focus on glory to God. This is the only one uh, where we are included as the (laughs) church. And some commentators say this is actually the very apex of God's glory here in this passage. It's bride and groom together, redeemed and redeemer as one. The needy, broken people and the perfect king who's able to do far more than all we can ask or think or imagine. And so to him be glory in this church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. That's our prayer for you this morning. And we're going to attempt to take communion together despite all the tables in the back. Um, I will pray for us in a minute and then we'll go and and do that. Just a couple of words uh, by way of introduction to that. Um, As we take communion as a a people here at Midlands, I want to just encourage you, those those of you who are part uh, part of Midlands Church, that... Uh, every time we're taking this meal, we're taking it in, in faith and in hope and anticipation of a feast to come. We just sing about it in that last song. And so as you go to the communion table today, I know, I know it's a sad day. It's a sad day for us, and I, I know it's a sad day. But, but let's go enjoy. Let's go enjoy knowing that we have much to celebrate and much to look forward to as a people and as individuals, as we hope in Christ. If you happen to be with us this morning as a a guest, and uh, you would not consider yourself a Christian, uh, I would want you to know that the communion table is for believers only. It's a time when we gather around the the faith that we hold to, and we we celebrate it in in earnest together. So it it wouldn't be appropriate for you to participate in this, and you don't need to worry about that. What, uh, What I'd ask you to do is just take the time and and sit quietly in your seat and maybe reflect on the things we have talked about this morning. And I would encourage you to take the time to pray and think about some of the things that this passage makes reference to. The promise that Christ can dwell in your hearts through faith. Promise that you can be made new and that you can experience a love 
that is beyond all height and depth, that is beyond what our minds can conceive. God has made that love known in sending His Son, Christ Jesus, and you can know Him today. And so if you would like to talk to someone more about that, know that any of us would be glad to. Uh, I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to take communion together, and then we'll close with a couple songs of worship. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that we go to this table broken and needy and at times sorrowful people. But we go in anticipation and in hope of a day when you will wipe away every tear. You will have comforted every heart. And you will have mended all that was broken restored all that was missing. Lord, when You would make us whole and when You would make us to know You, Lord, even as we now are fully known. So it would help us to, to take communion this morning in hope of that day. May we be grateful that we are invited to that feast. And as we labor in this world, as we journey through this life, Lord, help us to trust in Christ, our sure and steady anchor on sad days, and hard moments, and good days, sweet moments. Lord, help us to trust in Him and Him alone. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.